ladies and gentlemen, those of you from this world and the next, it gives me great pleasure to present the Satanic Player Society, traveling sideshow of the Macaw. Join us as we bring you wonders from the abyss, pros from the shadows, and tales of horror and madness. Now, it brings me great joy to introduce tonight's performers, each bringing their own skills and talents to the show. Please be standing and give a round of applause for... Christine, the reptilian woman. From the darkest steps of the Amazon, you find this wonderful creature you see before you. Gaze in wonder as she uncoils herself and moves with rise and grace. Her fangs also contain the deadliest venom on the planet, which can kill you in heartbeats. Citizen Horror, the two-headed wonder. One head is female, the other male. But it takes all ladies and gentlemen. For when this devious duo come together, your mind will be irrevocably desecrated. Clover, the magician. She is the master of energy and substance, of time and space. Wonder as she weighs matter with her mystical power. It would be advisable not to get on the wrong side of this city. She might turn you into something unnatural. Gregory, the psychic. Come with him and gaze into the mystic portal. He can see your future. He can see your past and present. He can also foretell your doom. Rachel, the Dragon Lady. Her scales are as tough as steel. Her claws sharper than any blade. But that is not the most terrifying thing about this lady. The fire she raised can turn a person to ash in mere seconds. Good evening, one and all. It's been a while, my friends. Let me assure you that we have not been idle. We hope that you like the renovations that have been made to the place. Our new avatars and costumes have been created by the wonderfully talented Diavel. Please take a moment to check out his other works after the show. Tonight, we also celebrate the works of another fantastic artist, RJ Murray, a longtime friend of the show. Not only has he provided us with our brilliant new logo, he has also written tonight's tales which I have no doubt you will enjoy. So, without further ado, let me introduce our first performance. This is a tale of love and devotion, narrated by our special guest, Adam Campbell. We bring you Melinda. Ricardo's cheerful disposition was unhindered by the frigid air of mid-February that was winning the battle against the black pea coat and crimson scarf that he'd hoped would shield his body. His brisk walk along the busy sidewalk continued despite it, and he clutched happily to the bouquet of roses that he knew, although the oldest cliché, was the preferred gift of his beloved. She found a certain comfort in a more traditional gesture. 
Glances of approval were found in the smiling eyes of those he'd passed as he grew nearer and nearer to his ground floor apartment of the red brick complex that sat just a mere two blocks ahead. It's not that he felt the approval of others was necessary, but it added to his own excitement toward the celebration of this most romantic holiday. He replied with short nods and wide grins. With his arrival at the door, he routinely pressed the button on the intercom, an entry that required recognition from the receptionist on the other end of the camera and microphone, and awaited the distorted voice to manifest from the speaker. Welcome back, Ricardo, it said. What followed was the sound of several beeps and a door latch indicating his permission to enter. Brought a little gift for the wife, have you? Ricardo smiled warmly. She likes the simple things, he replied as his hand found the metal of the door handle. He pulled on it and gracefully strode inside. With a quick left turn that led him down a narrow corridor, he counted seven doors and found his own. A dig into the pocket of his coat produced the key that he then slid into the doorknob and turned with a click. opened, his nostrils were filled with the sudden but familiar wave of the foul stench of rot. Shutting the door behind him, he strode forth and down a short hallway to see his wife lying upon a bed. He looked over the necrotic black and blue of her flesh and then her eyes, which continued to sink further into her lifeless skull, and sighed before making his way to her side. He leaned down to press his lips against the cold of hers. He'd grown used to the stillness. I brought your favorites, he said kindly after a long moment of silence. But, my dear Melinda, I should have brought you a bottle of perfume. He stood straight and brushed her cold hands with his. I'll be right back, darling, he said before leaving the room. After a moment in the kitchen, he reemerged with a vase in hand where water fed the short lives of the severed roses. He placed it on the nightstand and found his way to a wooden chair near the bed. Closing his eyes, he waited until he heard the whining sirens of police cars that stopped outside the building. He looked to Melinda for a final time and, in a whisper, said, I will never let you go. Maybe we can agree that love should have some downs. Now, onto our main act. We bring you a tale of fantasy and desire. A man's power to create his own world, and those whose jealousy will attempt to tear it down. Featuring guest performance by our very own DFL, we present to you Luther Ma and the Onyx Forest. A hollow silence dominated the room with such an emptiness that Walter imagined, if it weren't for the dripping of the kitchen sink faucet, he might be able to hear the tapping feet of the ants that made themselves busy along the hardwood floors. Looking over them from his seat at the table, which he had turned sideways, he watched them. 
Little black dots, bathed in the dull light of the early morning hours, moving about in tireless work to keep their world running smoothly. It was enough to keep him occupied while he waited. The numbers of the digital clock on the oven shifted, and the front door opened with a slow creak. The look that erupted on Jeanette's face gave away her startled surprise that Walter was awake and waiting for her return. Oh, she said, her eyes narrowing at the sight of her husband. You're awake. I haven't been to sleep yet. He stood from the table and put his hands into the pockets of his flannel pajama pants. Where have you been all night? He asked. Jeanette's eyebrows dipped, twisting her face into a deeply frustrated expression. She gritted her teeth and put emphasis on each individual word. It doesn't matter, Walter, she replied. She then slammed her car keys onto the marble kitchen counter. Can't I just enjoy my life without you questioning me for once? Walter raised an eyebrow. Enjoy your life? He asked, his eyes falling and landing on her finger where a wedding ring used to be. Or enjoy a night with another man. There was a small wave of satisfaction that rose within him, generated by the first time he had ever called her out on that. But it soon crested, fell, and crashed into a pit of dread that hollowed out his gut. Jeanette's face contorted even further and into a mixed grimace, and Walter wasn't sure if she was going to cry or lash out. She chose the latter. Well, she said, her mouth beginning to quiver. He's a much better lover than you, and he's younger too. She began to walk about the kitchen theatrically in a cruel mockery of Walter. But you wouldn't care. It's only ever about what your feelings, your satisfaction. Don't you see how backwards this is? Walter said, throwing his hands out of his pockets and opening them at his question. He let out an aggravated sigh. You feel justified in this? Justified? Jeanette took a step toward him. If she could blow fire from her eyes, she would do it in this moment. I am satisfied. I have my comfortable home. And? She said, gesturing to all that was around her in the room. I get to go out and have a little fun. The air seemed to leave Walter's body, and he found himself sinking back into the chair beside him before his legs had the chance to give out beneath his body, which now weighed down with sorrow. I'm sorry, he said, his eyes no longer meeting the green of hers. What? I'm sorry, he reiterated. For whatever made all of this happen, I've only ever loved you. I don't know what I did. He watched a teardrop leave a stain on the fabric of his pants. Why won't you just leave me if you're so unhappy? Because I need to get my thrills, Walter. She was silent for a moment. Cry then. She said, exiting the kitchen and stomping her feet out of the room and up the stairs in the hall. Walter sat downtrodden in the quiet that returned. His mind wandered while he listened to the dripping of the faucet. I need to leave, he thought. I need to escape this place. The neglected mirror was stained with toothpaste and mold, and it clouded his reflection in it. 
It was most probably better that way, making it a bit more difficult to look upon his own weary face. The pain would soon subside, he knew. It would all be taken away once he made his journey to a better place on the other side of this world. Drip, 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 said the bathtub faucet in a most welcoming tone. It was leaky, like all the faucets in his home, but that was good. Broken things, things forgotten and ignored with bad seals and cracks in them, always made for the best passageways. He crossed the short distance to look over the empty tub and touched his hand to the cold metal of the handle. He turned it and put his hand beneath the warm water that fell. Warm water was best, as it always opened things up, and he dared not close the drain. The water needed a place to go, a place to take it. He waited until a perfect image was produced within the ripples. On the other side was a small waterfall that fell into a river. The white of the splashing water gave way to tiny, flowing waves upon which the sun glistened. Where it was calm, the water was so clear that little schools of strange fish were visible beneath the surface. It was more than enough of an invitation, and Walter jumped into the tub to make his journey to another world. His world. The silence beneath the surface of the river gave way to chirping birds and flowing water when he came back up. Little bubbles from his splashing entrance still danced around his body, massaging his skin. As Walter swam to the banks of the river, he could already feel relief from the stress that he had left behind in his home on the upside of the waterfall. Shortly after placing his feet on dry land, a stocky sentinel dressed in leather armor approached him in a jog with an arrow knocked and drawn in his bow. Walter raised an eyebrow at the man, whose head was not unlike an onion in the way that it was shaped. A serb? Walter said, calling the man's name inquisitively. Oh. A serb replied, lowering his weapon. He took a step forward and poked Walter's shoulder as if to be sure that he was real. My apologies, Lord Mr. Walter. Had to be sure that it was you for certain. He put the bow back upon his own shoulder and put the arrow back into his quiver and then stroked his hand down his stringy beard. What do you mean? Walter asked. You know that Lufa Ma'ar and I are the only ones who can travel between here and... He gestured. There. Why, yes, of course, Lord Mr. Walter. Please? Just Walter. Walter made a motion with his hand that signaled to bring down the proprieties, all the while a smile breaking its way through to his face. I am an equal among you. Well, it's just that you... Acerb stoked his beard again, as if looking for words. Well, you, um, made us... Walter raised his eyebrow and folded his arms across his chest. 
Get on with it, Acerb. Why the high alert? Well, you see, um, Walter... Acerb began. I don't know the details. Lufamar knows those. And I haven't seen nothing come through here. He gestured at the waterfall a bit upstream. But rumor has it that there's been some strange goings-on around here, and I, for one, am not about to let this place go up in flames, you see. Acer puffed out his chest with pride in his usually low-risk but important job. Walter allowed an exasperated sigh escape from his mouth and ran a wet hand through his wet hair. (sighs) All right, he said with a firm tone. Do you happen to know where Lufer Ma'ar is? He's a man of his own, Acerb said with a shrug. No idea. Walter nodded respectfully. Thank you for the fine work you do, Acerb, as you were. And he watched as Acerb's chest deflated, and then went on to go about his guarding duties. The Otherworld Bazaar was made up of rows of buildings, tents, and stalls. It ran all day and all night, and most anything you could ever want or need could be found there. Every manner of creature, man or woman, could be seen in and out of its shops. Coldbloods, those who wore coats no matter what height the heat may reach, known for their jet-black hair, and whose skin would never tan no matter how many rays they caught. Scritties, who were rather short folk and covered in hair like bipedal rats without tails and known for their cravings for better heights to whatever riches and power they could accumulate. The fleers came at night, who were little balls of fiery light, but cool to the touch, floated about as light as feathers, and spoke to one another in quiet squeaks. The bazaar was usually filled with all kinds of noise, laughter, and talking from these types, but today it was strangely quiet with only a few shops kept open, and even a few of the shop owners saw Walter and pulled drapes or window shutters closed. There was movement in the window of his favorite shop, and Walter was glad to see that it was open. He approached it and read the familiar sign above the door that said Arya's Shop of Reality Wares and Delicacies. He opened the door to see familiar items from his regular life. Microwaves, baby dolls, refrigerators, mannequins, and more that were considered rare collectibles and fine goods here. The shop was supplied by Lufermar from his trips back and forth between Otherworld and Reality, as Walter's origins came to be known here. The means by which Lufermar acquired these items was something Walter would rather not think about. He then looked at the startled expression on a face that was usually warm and welcoming. Arya stood behind the counter of the shop with her confused face framed by black hair that reflected the light and fell beyond her shoulders. She was of the Olive people, 
a sect of magical practitioners, but Arya was different in pursuing business. Rather than sticking to the traditions of her heritage, so her petite figure was wrapped in smooth, soft skin of a deep green tone. Wearing a brown dress, she looked, to Walter, like the essence of the earth. Arya? Walter said. Are you okay? What's wrong? He took a careful step past the tables in her shop, where patrons are usually seated, drinking coffee, which is considered a delicacy in Otherworld. She studied him for a moment before her tense shoulders fell into relaxation. She darted from behind the counter and wrapped her arms around him. Oh, it is you. Walter's arms embraced the girl, and he could smell the sandalwood scent of her hair. Of course it's me, he said, stepping back with his hands upon her shoulders so he could look into her eyes. Why wouldn't it be me? There's only one me. Actually, a familiar voice suddenly chimed in from behind, followed by the sound of a door swinging shut, and the bell ringing above it. We need to have a talk. Despite the growing concern of the very confusing circumstances, Walter could feel the corners of his mouth tugging involuntarily into a smile, and he turned to look upon Lufermar. He was a rather pudgy fellow with goat's legs and no head upon his shoulders. His face protruded instead from his round belly. His dramatic stance suggested he owned the room and commanded attention. Lufermar. Walter said, his teeth practically shining in his mouth. It is a pleasure to see you, my friend. You, meaning you, of course. Lufermar replied. It is a pleasure to see you as well. He gestured to a table with the wave of his hand. Shall we sit? Walter sat across from Lufermar at the nearest table. Arya followed, but before sitting, she tapped her chin in thought and walked away toward the counter. Her scent lingered, and Walter inhaled it, intoxicated by it for a moment. From all the paranoia I'm sure you've been met with upon your return, Lufermar said with an almost irritated tone, I'm certain you've gathered that something is askew here. It's been blatant, Walter replied. What's going on? Well, there seems to be another you lurking about us. Lufermar scratched the side of his belly face. A mischievous you, a bad you, a Walter, or <clears throat> Ratlu, as he calls himself, that has an obvious leaning toward terror and tricks. Few have encountered it as of yet, but word has spread. The conversation was momentarily interrupted by Arya's return. She set a tray down with three ceramic mugs filled with coffee, along with napkins and spoons, and dragged a chair over from another table so that she could sit with them. Walter hugged his mug with nervous hands as his body crumpled inward, leaving his eyes falling to the little ripples in the dark liquid. Is there a place that maybe we could move everyone? He asked. Maybe there's a safe place that this uh, other me can't get to. Lufermar took a long sip of his coffee and dabbed his mouth with a napkin before he looked at his drooping friend. I'm afraid, he said, there is no escaping it, Walter. This problem is different than what you come here to escape from. And if this world were to collapse in on itself, 
I am the only one who can leave it besides you. Walter felt the warmth of Arya's hand on his arm, and he lifted his eyes to look into the grassy green of hers. She remained silent, but gave him a comforting look. Walter straightened up in his seat and turned his face to meet Luframar's. Where do we start? Luframar shrugged and leaned back, resting an arm on the back of the chair. I've no idea, he said. I'm hoping that a visit to Orbor will give us a lead. Before Walter could open his mouth to reply, Arya interjected. I'm coming with you. Luframar raised an eyebrow at her. I don't think that... I don't want you getting hurt, Walter cut in. So, you want me to sit here worried sick about the both of you? There was a fire in her eyes that must have only just ignited. I'm coming. Luframar drained the remaining coffee from his mug into his mouth and stood from his chair. To the Onyx Forest, then. The sun had been swallowed by the hills for quite some time, and were it not for the moonlight, the black trees of the onyx forest, with retracted leaves that left their skeletal figures proudly on display, would have blended seamlessly with the darkness. Strange chirps and croaks bounced between the trunks, and fleshy slithers dragged along the muculent ground, all from unseen sources. Sticky mud clung at the feet of the trio as they made their way to the center where Orbor resided. Lufermar, who Walter had decided knew the lengths of Underworld much better than himself, led the party. A fleer flock would be nice right about now, Arya said, lifting her feet high to avoid roots and logs. She had lost her shoes to the mud some time ago. Fleer won't come here, Lufermar replied. They're chased out by the trees whose bark is bleached by their light. What about when the sun is up? Arya asked. What do the trees do then? Lufermar sighed. You don't get out of that shop much, do you? He said. The leaves at the top of the trees, which bloom in the sunlight, protect the bark beneath during the day. At night, the darkness nurtures the bark. There are no leaves below to protect the bark from low-flying fleers. So they're chased out. There was a loud groan in the forest, like wood rubbing against wood in the wind, but there was no breeze. Arya shuddered at the sound. So they really are alive? Yes, my dear. Lufermar guessed that Arya could sense his rolling eyes because she fell quiet behind him. Walter was in pensive silence behind them both, his mind occupied by his nervous thoughts. Back and forth, his eyes moved, both in an effort to be aware of his surroundings and to chase the ghost of a solution in his mind. With almost every sudden noise, his body jerked in fear of the terrible possibility that it might be his strange and violent copy. When they came upon a mass of roots that overtook the mud beneath, leaving a solid but bumpy surface beneath their feet, Lufermar stopped ahead of the group. Before them was a massive tree, its trunk as wide as several houses, and its branches towered over the forest, seemingly making contact with the dark sky above. 
Lufamar made a couple graceful steps forward, his goat's hooves designed to handle such uneven ground, and knocked lightly upon the trunk with his fist. Orber, he called in a voice that one would use when rousing a sleeping child. He then stepped back. Wake up, old man. The ground shook as the massive tree groaned, and its branches rustled and shifted about as if a powerful wind had blown through them. Eyes and a mouth opened on the trunk with an eerie green glow inside of them that rose out like spectral smoke. The tree said with a mighty baritone that one could feel in the chest. The trees around seemed to whisper to one another upon hearing the wise tree speak. Why have you awakened me? Your welcome is wearing thin in this forest. Ah, yes, Lufamar said. You could hear the smile in his sarcastic voice. I come here with an actual purpose tonight, rather than to put the trees at risk of fire with my leisurely pipe smoking. He stepped to the side and gestured to Walter and Arya with an open hand. And I bring friends. The tree seemed to gasp with delight. Walter, it said. What a pleasure to have you in my presence. The limbs of the tree bent in a short bow. You are always welcome here. Hello, Orbor. Walter said, returning the salutation. And who is this fine lady? Orbor asked. Arya stepped forward. I'm Arya, she said, guessing the tree was of some royalty due to its size, and the fact that they have come to seek its counsel, she performed a curtsy. Um, your highness? The tree's roots lifted beneath the ground with its light laughter, knocking the trio off balance for a moment. There is no need for such formalities from you, dear, the tree said. I only have such power over the beings of this forest. Arya was thankful for the darkness that hid her slight embarrassment, and even more thankful for Walter's haste, as he quickly shifted the focus by stepping forward, saying, Please, Orbor, if you don't mind, we've come for your help. The green glow of Orbor's eyes shifted to Walter. I suppose I would be correct to assume you come to me for help in dealing with your doppelganger, if you will. Walter nodded, swallowed hard, and replied. Yes, he said. How did you know? The trees whisper to me. Orbor replied. They have seen it as it hides within and emerges from the wall mountains and I have seen its continual growth. It's been here for quite some time, but only just begun to reveal itself to Otherworld at large. A low branch descended and stroked the bark beneath Orbor's mouth as if in thought. From what I understand, this thought form will only get worse unless it is dealt with swiftly. Thought form? Lufamar cut in. Yes. Orbor said. What causes misery to our Walter in his other life follows him here as energy and fades it. 
It's created a monstrous copy of him. Walter ran a hand down his face in frustration and looked back to the tree. So I am ultimately the source? I'm afraid so. Walter could feel cold sweat being conjured from the pores on the back of his neck. It trickled down his back. What can I do to stop it then? His voice now shook. The tree's gaze fell upon Luframar. You, who can travel between worlds and bring those deserving to justice? What I do best. Luframar cut in, shrugging and folding his arms above the face upon his belly. Must go to the world of Walter's reality and rid him of that which causes him most misery. Whispered Walter automatically, catching the attention of Arya, upon whose face formed a shadowy glare at the mention of Walter's awful wife. The wise tree then shifted its green eyes to Walter. And you, it said, you must find the mandala flower and consume it before facing Rathlin. Walter swallowed hard, but he felt the warm touch of Arya's hand, which now rested upon his arm. Where do I find it? It is beneath me, within me, in the darkness of my root system, the tree replied. <laughs> and nowhere else, Walter said with a shaky chuckle. I will go with you, Walter, Arya said, giving Walter's arm a comforting squeeze. I intended for you to accompany Walter anyways, Arya, the tree spoke. There is something about you, something that is clear to my observant eye, that tells me an important item awaits you as well. Before anyone had the chance to reply, the mouth of the tree then opened to the base of the trunk, forming a door. It bathed the trio in its phantom green light, and the cool wind that came from it was enough to make Walter shiver though he was sure it was partly due to his fear. He looked to Luframar, who only shrugged. Arm in arm, Walter and Arya stepped into Orbor's mouth and were swallowed by the light within. Going down the waterfall to get into Otherworld was easy. Getting back by going up was difficult. Luframar would normally take a break to regain his strength after emerging, but he knew that this time no second could be wasted. So he pulled himself up and out of the toilet bowl, which served as his portal and stepped into the dark bathroom. After the echo of his hooves on the linoleum floor subsided, his ears caught a rather interesting commotion coming from a nearby room. He could hear what was the unmistakable sound of a headboard slamming against the wall over and over, accompanied by the ecstatic moans of a woman at varying volumes, and flesh slapping against flesh. He couldn't help the quiet laughter that conjured itself from his throat. Oh, this is perfect, he said to himself, clapping his hands together. A two for one, and this one will be all the more satisfying.
darkness gained a tighter grasp upon Arya and Walter, enveloping them as they attempted to navigate the twisting labyrinth of tunnels that were Orbor's roots. Eventually, they lost all but a faint ambient glow of green that reflected off of the puddles of water that gathered on the floor and spoke in echoed splashes with every drip that met them from the ceiling. And, with their seemingly aimless advance forward, the foul-scented tunnels continually shrunk, becoming more and more narrow. You know... Arya spoke after a long silence between the two. I wouldn't mind this so much if it didn't smell so bad. What do you mean? Walter replied, his vacant tone making obvious how distracted he was by his thoughts. Well... She began nervously. I don't mind being so close to you, that's for sure. Walter's ears perked up at those words, but he didn't divert his eyes from the path before him. He only continued walking forward by Arya's side, hearing the squashing of his feet on the sopping ground. But... Arya continued. I know that you only really come here for a little while at a time. I know you have another life on the other side. She made a disgusted noise, but it sounded staged. (sighs) It really does smell in here, doesn't it? She said in an obvious attempt to quickly stray from the subject. Walter maintained his silence for a few moments, contemplating a proper answer to what was said. Finally, he spoke. Listen, Arya, he said, I... His voice trailed when he turned to face Arya and discovered that, as if having vanished into thin air, she was no longer beside him. A sudden panic rushed through him, leaving his face feeling hot. Arya! He called desperately, only to be answered by his own echoes. As he turned his body back and forth to face in all directions, searching for the Olive girl, the walls of the tunnels had seemingly begun to breathe. With every apparent inhale, they got tighter and smaller around him. There was a loud groaning that sounded like a lamenting moan almost overpowering the frenzied pounding of his heart that flooded his ears. His vision had now begun to blur. The smell, he thought. It must be some kind of toxic fume. I'm hallucinating. He hoped it was only that. He could now hear a storm of whispers that bounced around him in a horrible mockery of his distress. Within them was the voice of Jeanette, malicious and condescending, but he was unable to make out the words. To accompany that, agonizing cries had emerged from the mess of noise to surround him. A maelstrom of emotion was conjured within Walter, and it made him feel physically weak. Thoughts of the fear that he had brought with him to this world, the pain that it could cause. He was the reason that Ratlu prowled in the shadows of other worlds. He grabbed fistfuls of his hair and began to sob. Dropping to his knees with a splash of water, he began to crawl in what was now pitch darkness. His body trembled with every small forward advancement until he could take no more and he fell. Lying in the darkness against the cold, wet ground, his tears mixed with the mud that stained his face. Thank <laughs> you.
Arya wandered in ever-narrowing passageways, lost and alone, where the dominance of darkness grew and grew. Her increasing anxiety kept her breathing short and shallow, and she jumped at every strange noise that pounded, creaked, and moaned. She wasn't sure when, exactly, Walter had disappeared from her side, but only that she looked and he was gone. Her stomach tied itself into knots of wishes that he were still with her. Ahead, the tunnel opened into a large space, like a room within the labyrinth. Arya was somewhat relieved for the extra room, having been cramped for so long, but that was quickly doused when her eyes fell upon the floor. Sunken into the mud were the remains of several people, skulls half-buried and contorted skeletons. Some bodies were late in the decaying process, not quite fully shed of their flesh yet. She wanted to scream, but she had begun heaving instead. Upon gaining the composure enough to turn and run from the room, she was stopped dead in her tracks by a rather skinny, almost frail-looking man dressed in a gray suit. He stood motionless, and his face was of the design of a white, expressionless mask, the only animate feature being its wide, black eyes that studied her. She could feel its hot breath, like the winds of hell over her entire body. Having broken from her fear-frozen state, she turned to the opposite direction, but found that the enigmatic being had appeared there, seemingly having judged her movements in advance and then acting with unnatural agility. There was a sound like a hissing cackle that emanated from it and surrounded her, embracing her. She fell to her knees, and with her head down spoke, Please, please don't kill me. She wanted to cry out for Walter, but if he had hurt her and come running, he might fall victim to whatever this creature was as well. But I will, and I must, my little mouse. The being said in a whisper to her ear. Try as you may, but you cannot escape me. I am always waiting and watching. Arya had begun to sob. Right, Lou? She asked. The being cackled again, a whispered laugh that cut right through her skull, and replied in warped, hushed tones. I am far worse than that. Why? Asked Arya, trembling in her defeat. She thought she must have looked pathetic, and the fear of an early death ripped through her like hot blades. There was so much left undone, and the regret of having spent so much of her life in that little shop, having taken no action upon her desires, washed over her like a tidal wave. It is my very nature, the man replied flatly. And I am the only fate which you must face. I alone am the only factor which has control over you beyond the limits manifested in your world by your own mind. He paused for a moment, his head tilting slightly to the side. But fortunately for you, my little mouse, I've no desire to catch you in my trap just yet. There's a role for you yet on the stage of this world, but you must choose to accept the part. You must choose the destiny which will unfold at your fate, and you've no one to blame but yourself if the consequences of your decision are not to your liking. Arya wanted to breathe a heavy sigh of relief, but what came from her exhale was, instead, a heavy sobbing. 
Her bottled emotions erupted from the pressure that had built inside of her. Thoughts of Walter swirled enough to summon great pains of longing and desire. She missed him dearly, and if she saw him again, she didn't want to spend another second away from him. There is one truth besides me, spoke the creature. Your life is yours and yours alone. Take what's yours, live fully and with pleasure, and move forward always. Or be swallowed by the regrets of having lived your life otherwise, when the time comes for inconceivable, unconsciousness comes for you. He gestured to the corpses and bones that littered the floor. Don't you dare ever forget that I can take you at any moment that I please. When Arya lifted her head, she saw that the room was now empty. She picked herself up off the floor, still sniffling with tears staining her cheeks, and staggered onward. In ghostly silence, Lufremar made his way through the upstairs hallway of Walter's home. With each slow step forward, the sounds of casual lovers became more prominent. The exaggerated dialogue between the two seemed laughable to him. At one point, he had heard the clasping of handcuffs and Jeanette's voice speak of her immobility now that her hands and feet were tied down, and that her master could now do as he pleased. It was exceedingly difficult in that moment to suppress a chuckle that could compromise his presence. Finally, he entered the bedroom, and surely as he had envisioned, he looked upon Jeanette, whose four limbs were cuffed to the bedposts, and with a man sloppily thrusting into her from above. He folded his hands behind his back and stood still, observing and waiting. A diabolical smirk formed upon his face, and he had never meant it. It had not been long before Jeanette noticed the creature standing there. What came upon her face as she looked over the man's shoulder was a look of unimaginable horror, with wide eyes and a sudden pallor that Lufremar was so familiar with. She had begun to thrash in her cuffs, instinctively trying to flee a scene that she could not. What the fuck is that? She shrieked, her breathing having become very quick and shallow. What the fuck is that? What? What? The man said, jumping from his position in a panic. Upon turning to face what had triggered Jeanette's reaction, he became frozen with fear. Oh my god! Whispered the man in shock. Lufremar glanced down at the man's penis, which had now become flaccid. Unimpressive, he said through the teeth of his devilish grin. He sucked his tongue against the roof of his mouth to make a tisk-tisk sound and wagged a forefinger. Most unimpressive indeed. His gaze then shifted to Jeanette. What am I, you ask? He said. Why, my dear, I am Lufremar, and I am the manifestation of your deeds catching up to you. He ran a sharp fingernail against his lip. Normally, I don't bother with adulterers, however disgusted I am at the thought of one satiating their desires at the emotional expense of another who has given one so much of their self. He paced as he spoke. No, I prefer the blood of rapists and murderers much, much more. But, you see, you have raped the soul of my dear friend many times, however metaphorically, and you have threatened the world within which I inhabit. 
I have no clue what the fuck you're talking about, replied Jeanette, still struggling to escape her restraints. Your world? What? Lufermar allowed an exasperated sigh escape his lips. Details are so exhausting to give, he said. We will just leave it at this. Walter sends his regards. Oh, that prick, replied Jeanette, trying desperately to catch her breath. What does he even have to do with any of- James, no! Jeanette's lover attempted to make a break for it, trying to dart his way past Lufermar, who caught him by the stomach with a clawed hand. Laughing with savage delight, Lufermar dug his hand into the man's flesh, who was rendered speechless by the blood that filled his mouth, until it was buried to the wrist. When he ripped his hand out, he had intestines grasped within it. James then fell to the floor and shook in agony for a few moments before becoming still. Bad decisions, said Lufermar, looking upon the lifeless body. Jeanette let out an ear-piercing scream and began to sob. Oh, so you do feel emotional pain, said Lufermar with a laugh. He then leaped upon the bed so he could stand over Jeanette. Here is your final meal, he said. Savor it, because after that you'll starve. He then shoved her lover's intestines into her mouth and jumped down from the bed. Before turning to leave, Lufremar noticed a particularly beautiful coffee mug on the nightstand. It was white and decorated with red roses, and gold outlined the rim. He poured out the bit of coffee that remained at the bottom onto the floor. Oh, what a nice little trinket, he said enthusiastically. This will be a rare item to own in Otherworld. He then waved off Jeanette's muffled screaming and left the room. Walter was still tormented by the incessant whispering and crying that plagued his ears, turning his thoughts against him as he remained lying on the cold, wet ground in the darkness. It was enough to drive him to the edge of suicidal madness, but that's when he noticed the faint glow that suddenly ignited and flickered like a flame somewhere ahead of him. While it was considerably distant, it was enough to momentarily cause pain to his eyes. He shakily pushed himself back to his hands and knees and crawled slowly in the mud, the ground squishing beneath him. As he got closer to the light, the sounds fading into the distance put behind him did not follow. Struggling forward, he finally reached its source. Where the tunnel got wider, a man crouched on his haunches beside a lit candle. He was thin enough that his spine stuck out like a row of spikes down his back and two nubs on his shoulder blades gave the impression that wings were once there. Long, white hair draped over his shoulders, and his jaw was home to an unkempt beard. He turned to face Walter with eyes so black that they looked like they had held the depth of everything and the void of nothingness all at once. Been trying to get this damn thing lit for hours, he said. Walter stood and stumbled his way over to the wall of the tunnel nearest the man and then slouched against it. He squinted his eyes and raised his hand to block some of the light. I wish you could turn it down a bit, replied Walter. It's hard to look at after being in the dark for so long. Ha <laughs> ha, laughed the man. Better Mephistopheles than you then. Mephistopheles? A perplexed look came upon Walter's face. Demon, he who shuns the light, replied the man. Never read the first tale, eh? Ah well, 
I read a lot. And what's an old man to do down here? He gestured to the stacks of books on the other side of the tunnel that Walter had failed to notice on his entry. Lufer Marr brings them down to me sometimes. Takes them from people that misunderstand the misunderstood characters of them. But you can't expect people to get what devils and sources are really about, can you? You don't really believe in the devil, do you? Walter asked with a raised eyebrow. Course not, replied the man. He turned to fully face Walter now, sitting and crossing his legs. Good fictional character he is. A lot of good qualities, and we all got a bit of a menace. Some more than others, each different than the other. How so? asked Walter. What is it that we all want? The strange old man waved his hands as if to single everything around. Power, joy, beauty, freedom, all in our own way. Why Lucifer fell, after all? Didn't want to be told how to live by the big guy who tries to steal me beard look. The man laughed at his own joke for a moment, grabbing his gut. He was better than that, he did. And he could exalt himself as his own god. Difference is, some wait for it to fall into their lap, like someone's going to hand it over to them when they deserve it. Or that they got to wait to be told when they can. Or that the real devil is going to pop up in a puff of smoke, horns and all, and give him a contract. Not everyone knows how to be their own god, or their responsibility scares them, so they turn to the laws of gobbledygook so they can feel directed. Others go out and make their own kingdoms, while they're still here in this life. Ladders where the devil really manifests, instead of being suppressed. Walter remained silent and thoughtful for a moment. Then he asked, So, what is it that you want? I ain't got what I want. So I'll hear. The candles, the books, the solitude. No one tells me how to live here, and I'm happy. If anyone did, I'd chase him out of my domain real quick, he said. He then gave Walter a gravely serious look. What is it that you want? Gotta be something, or you wouldn't be down here. No one comes down here except Lufermar to bring me books. I just want the mandala flower so I can defeat this weird copy of me that somehow manifested itself here. Walter rubbed his eyes at the confusing thought. Or at least that's how Orbor said it got here. I don't know. I just know that I need to beat it so things can go back to normal. Because you want your power, your joy, beauty, and freedom, replied the man, a smile stretching across his face. <laughs> You got the devil in you and you didn't even know it. <laughs> he laughed. You want your world to be yours, and you're stepping up to take it back, even if it takes a bit of... magic. The man stood himself up slowly, and with a slouch he made his way over to his stack of books. Picking up a copy of Paradise Lost by John Milton, he opened it to the middle and removed a black pressed flower. He then returned to where Walter sat and handed it to him. They only bloom down here once in a very long while, and I really like them. But me, I'll never pass up the chance to do the devil's work. Walter held the flower in his hands, and a wave of satisfaction washed over him. He turned it over and over, examining the strangeness of it. There was a pattern of darker black lines that ran across the petals, creating mandalas with its veins. This place really has taken on a life of its own, he said. I'd never even heard of these flowers until Orbor told me about them. 
When you create your kingdom, it's going to branch out and have its own parts, replied the man. You just gotta conquer the obstacles that arise within it. They keep your crown. Walter nodded and stood. Thank you. He said to the man before turning to leave, the candlelight guiding him back to the tunnel from which he came, and which he would now travel back through with rejuvenated strength. When he turned back to look, the man and his books were gone, but the flame of the candle remained. Must be the smell, he thought. Hallucinations. But the flower and candle were real, so it must have been a little more than that. When the tunnel through which Walter navigated widened, he found himself back in Orbor's taproot. It was the largest room in the maze of his root system, and the first room into which he and Arya descended upon taking this journey. The familiar green glow surrounded him, and he faced the winding staircase that led back to the door, Orbor's mouth, through which they entered. He had almost sprinted headlong for it when he realized that Arya was, in fact, not at his side, and he could not abandon her. He had contemplated for a moment retracing his steps to where they had first been separated, and then trying to figure out in which direction she had gone in an effort to find her. There was a small chance of success with that, but he discarded the idea when considering that it could lead to further separation from her. Unsure of what to do, he sat on the ground with his legs crossed and decided to wait, holding to the hope that she would find her way back to where he now was. The minutes felt like days, but finally Walter watched as Arya emerged from the darkness. Her brown dress was tattered and her green skin was almost fully coated with mud. Despite all of that, her face could have illuminated the deepest trenches when her mind seemed to have processed his presence. Walter stood and met her halfway as they ran at each other and embraced. He lifted her and held her against him, feeling the welcoming warmth of her body. When Walter set her back down, Arya simply looked into his eyes as if she were searching for something, and then, without a word, she pressed her lips against his with hard passion. His stomach ignited and twisted and wanted to burst open, and when she pulled away, the sweet taste of her lingered. He wanted to climb to the highest peak and feel the wind caress his hair. He wanted to tear the world apart and reshape it as a gift for her. Don't you ever leave my side again, said Arya, her voice crying with a deep need. Please don't leave me here. There are so many things I want to do in other world, and I want you to be a part of it all. I'm happy near you. I feel alive. I'm not leaving, Arya, replied Walter. This is my home, my world, my kingdom. He reached a hand out and caressed her face with his thumb, wiping a bit of mud away to reveal her soft green skin. And, well, he said, I can't imagine a more fitting queen. Walter, I... Arya was interrupted by a sudden and severe quaking. It shook and twisted the walls, and the ground shifted and lifted and sunk. To accompany the tremors, a scraping sound like wood against wood seared through the duo's ears. Walter grabbed Arya's hand and began to run for the stairs ahead. When they reached them, Walter shouted over the noise. You first! Go! And Arya began her ascent with Walter close behind. Walter and Arya found themselves within a chaotic scene, 
Flurries of hot embers swirled through smoke that was illuminated by a bright orange glow, and the heat was beyond bearable. Flames licked the bark of trees that were alive with anguish and struggle, as if they were trying to uproot themselves and run away from the burning onyx forest. Tiny creatures, stricken with deathly fear, scurried past their feet in a frenzy. Orbor swung his branches low, grabbing at something that was obscured by the flames in the darkness that stood behind them. Find him. He bellowed in a godly deep tone to Walter. Find him, Walter, and destroy him. Now. Walter stood, frozen with a mixture of horror and hatred. The world was spinning around him, and a rage was building inside of him that outmatched the flames that danced around. How could he have allowed something so terrible to invade this world? How could he have allowed this life he sought to move past follow him here, in the place he now sought to create a permanent home? His fists clenched and trembled as his breathing became hard and deep, leaving his lungs burning from the hot smoke. Walter, we need to get the hell out of here. (laughs) Please. Arya coughed through her words, and she cupped her mouth with a hand in an effort to create a filter. Walter's eyes stared forward with an expression that screamed the desperate desire for vengeance. There it is, he said. That's got to be it. What? Arya cried over the roar of the fire and the snapping of burning wood. Where is what? Ratlu, replied Walter. Arya peered ahead with squinted eyes, and her face twisted into an expression of fear. I see him, she said. Walter's eyes fixated on what was standing in the thick of the fire, an exact image of himself, except that it was like looking at a picture of him where the colors had been inverted. It stood calmly and with a wicked smile of black teeth. Then, when it was sure that it had been spotted, it turned and fled. Walter, let's go! Arya continued. Please, we need to get out of here, and he's getting away. Walter felt Arya's hand slip into his, and he felt her pulling on it. He snapped out of his tunnel vision and looked at her, struggling to breathe. He then found himself running with her, leaping over fallen trees and dodging branches that fell from above. The burning and crackling filled his ears and fueled the intensity of his emotions. All else was secondary to him in the face of destroying that which sought to upend what he loved. Near the edge of the onyx forest, Walter found Lufamar, who, despite the destruction around him, moved as gracefully as ever. I haven't lit a pipe in here in months, he said. I swear. It's Ratlu, replied Walter. I saw it. He then looked to Arya, who had now fallen to her hands and knees with a violent coughing. Take Arya, Walter said to Lufamar. She can't take much more. Lufamar bent down to allow Arya to climb onto him and bury her face into his back. Light as a feather, my dear. He said to her before beginning a gallop toward where the forest met a field with Walter close behind. When the trio emerged from the burning forest, the mixture of moonlight and the fiery red glow cast a blend of shadows onto the expanse of land between the onyx forest and the wall mountains. The sheer walls of rock across the field, topped by their barren plateaus, which were almost silhouetted against the dark sky, 
acted as a backdrop to Ratlu, who seemed to stand in satisfied silence, watching the group stumble from the trap which he had set. Walter had only broken eye contact with his strange copy when he vomited from the stress through which he had just been. Lou Fermar set Arya back to her feet, who stumbled a bit before regaining her balance. The creature then looked at Walter and spoke. The mandala flower, he said. Did you get it? I did, replied Walter. He then reached his hand into the pocket of his pants, sure he had slipped the flower into it. When it wasn't there, he frantically patted himself down. It's gone, he said with a panicked voice. I must have dropped it somewhere in the fire. He turned and began a jog back to the onyx forest, but Lufremar caught him by the arms and tackled him to the ground. You can't go back in there, said Lufremar. Besides, it would have been burned up by now. We can go to the cold bloods. They covet those things. I'm sure we could strike some kind of trade with them, considering the valuables I bring here. When Walter was free of Lufremar's grasp, he stood and shook his head, peering again across the field to lock eyes with Ratlu. No, he said. The more time I leave that thing alive, the more time it has to burn the rest of this place down. But Lufremar became suddenly quiet as he noticed Ratlu had begun to approach them. Walter walked out to meet his adversary in the middle. Arya dashed into the field where the two stared at one another in silence, and Walter felt her desperately pull on his arm in an attempt to lead him away from the confrontation. Please, she said. Walter, you can't do this right now. You don't have the flower, and I... I don't have the strength to... Ratlu grinned into the light as, with one swift stroke of his arm, he sent Arya sailing through the air to land unconscious in the grasp nearby. Walter rushed to where she was lying. He knelt in the grass beside her and patted her face in an effort to wake her. Wake up! He shouted. Arya, wake up! He then caressed her cheek gently with his hand. Please. He was interrupted by a sudden sharp pain in his ribs that sent him rolling along the ground. He realized Ratlu had kicked him, and he struggled to regain the air that had been knocked out of him. You idiot, Ratlu said. It spoke to Walter in an astral-toned mimic of his own voice. Can you not see that all this will soon be mine? It landed a kick to Walter's face, allowing blood to slip from his now split lips. Can you not see that I am superior? It reached down and grasped Walter by his neck, lifting his head. A closed fist then slammed into Walter's cheek. Can you not see that though I am spawned from your misery, I am ultimately a device engineered by Jeanette? It bellowed a laugh. She seeks to destroy all that allows your spirit to thrive. And knowing that she could not create her own portals to come here and do it herself, she opted to have you do it for her. Walter, who was now lying in the grass bleeding and struggling for breath, watched with blurred vision as Ratlu knelt beside him. He felt its hand grip his face, fingernails digging into his cheeks. He then said, with a voice distorted by the swelling of his face and his almost immobile jaw at the hand of his enemy, Jeanette is dead. Lufremar killed her. Ratlu threw its head back in laughter. <laughs> 
Oh, did your fat friend not tell you? It said. He left her alive. His overly sadistic nature thought it most satisfying to leave her to starve, bound to her bed. But I intend to free her. Having come from you, I too can travel between worlds. Ratlu then threw Walter's head from his hands, allowing it to slam off the ground. So, you have a choice. You can bow before the new king and queen of Otherworld when I bring Jeanette here, or I can kill you, and her and I will burn your world and all of your pathetic creatures within it, together. Its head turned to look upon Arya, and its sinister smile seemed to deepen. And burning your new little whore will be the best part. Walter painfully shifted himself so that he could look upon Arya, who had come to and was now struggling to lift herself from the ground. He felt the fiery rage reignite within him, sparked by Ratlu's desires to destroy her and to destroy Otherworld. He shakily pushed his body up off the ground, but found himself quickly being forced back down by Ratlu's foot. Lufremar charged at Ratlu, catching it off guard while it concentrated on Walter and tackling it to the ground. Victory favored Lufremar, as the grapple ended with Ratlu being restrained from behind in a sitting position, wrapped up by Lufremar's limbs. No one calls me fat, Lufremar said to Ratlu. He then looked at Walter. Kill it, Walter. Quickly, before the slippery bastard gets away. I don't know how replied Walter as he shakily pushed himself to his hands and knees. Come twist its head off or something, I don't know. Walter, said Arya weakly. Walter turned his head to look at her. It is part of you. Use your anger and anguish to connect with it, because that's where it came from, and absorb it back into you. From there, you can control it so that it can never come back. I can't replied Walter. I'm not an Olive. I don't have that kind of power. You created this world, didn't you? Her soft voice was comforting and encouraging. You can, and you will. It's in you. This is your world. Claim it. Walter's eyes turned and fixated on the restrained copy of himself. He could feel that deep fire within him, and he fanned it, feeding it. His rage became hatred, his desperation became sorrow, and his head became a maelstrom of emotions that swirled throughout the entirety of his body. A scream forced its way from his mouth, as his insides felt like they were twisting, and he watched the face of Ratlu contort into a plea for life. In the grasp of Lufremar, Ratlu's body had begun to become transparent. It distorted and stretched forth, as if connecting with the scream and was sucked completely into Walter's open mouth. For a moment, Walter breathed heavily with a loud wheezing. He could hear the distant call of his name that came from Oraria's voice, but then the world blurred and became black. Walter's eyes fluttered open at the light that filtered in through the window, and he realized that he was in Arya's apartment above her shop. 
He shifted his focus from the light blue paint of the walls to the white linen drapes that hung beside the windows, and then to Arya, who slept tightly against him with her head upon his chest. Her soft green skin was clean, and her face was peaceful and beautiful. She wore a simple white nightgown. Walter lightly caressed the skin of her arm up to her shoulder and back down. Arya's eyes opened at his touch. You're awake, she said with a smile, tilting her head upwards to look at him. She craned her neck to plant a kiss on his cheek. How are you feeling? Much better than last night, replied Walter. Last night, said Arya. Walter, you have been sleeping for two days now. She slid her hand across his bare chest. I'm just glad you're awake. Even though I've been crawling into bed with you for the past couple of nights, I've missed you. Walter gently squeezed her arm where his hand had rested. And even though I've been asleep, I've missed you too. He said, drawing a small chuckle from her. But shouldn't you be downstairs, running your shop? Arya shook her head. No, I hired a scritty named Robert to run the shop. That way, we can pursue whatever dreams we want, and there are limitless opportunities. She said with a smile. First things first, though. If your strength is up, Lufarmar was planning on throwing a festival in the bazaar once you were awake, in honor of your victory. Our victory. Walter corrected. He then turned to his side to face the Olive girl. He slid his hand down the side of her body, and then back up her leg to rest it on the skin of her waist beneath her nightgown. And I think I can handle that, he said with eyes that looked deeply into hers. I've got strength enough to have you right now. He pressed his lips into hers and was met with a soft moan and the hard press of her body against his. The darkness of night was kept at bay by the crowds of fleers that gathered around, bonfires that did their best to reach the sky, and string lights that lined the tents, pavilions, and the shops that vendors opened in an effort to capitalize on the festival. The smell of food cooking over grills and open fires filled the air, and live music reached over the joyous cluster of talking and laughter. People and creatures of every species were present, Cold bloods who wore their coats, and of course, leaves, scritties, and more. Walter sat at a table in a pavilion, happily watching Arya, who was once again donned in her favorite simple brown dress, bounce and sway among a crowd of other dancers. Lufermar sat across from him. They each sipped from warm cups of coffee and talked of everything from the clear weather to the security that was restored in Otherworld and what was in between. Taking notice of the cup from which Lufremar sipped, a half-sarcastic inquiring look came upon his face. Where'd you find my mug? He asked. Lufremar shrugged and drained the cup into his mouth. It was on your nightstand. He then slid it across the table to Walter, who picked it up and studied the rose pattern and the gold that lined the rim. Walter stood and began to walk away from the pavilion and away from the festival. Lufremar followed him to where he stopped by a creek that was lined with rocks and ran parallel to the main road upon which the bazaar was, but was far enough away that the light was dim upon it. 
There was silence between the two for a long moment, and then Walter slammed the mug against the rocks, shattering it. Now, said Walter, who still faced the water that gently flowed. It is done. He turned to face Luframar and smiled. Let's go back and have a drink. To my permanent life here, among those who enhance my happiness. Luframar gave a small shrug. I like the mug, but okay, he said with a bit of laughter. Then he and Walter walked away from the creek and back to the festival. Jeanette finally freed her hand from the cuffs that restrained it. She pulled the intestines from her mouth and used the slick blood that was still wet upon it to lubricate her other limbs and pull them free as well. She tried to ignore the body on the floor as she tiptoed past it, but the scene, coupled with the foul and lingering taste in her mouth and the stench of the room, was enough to turn her stomach. She ran to the bathroom in order to avoid adding to the mess. As she leaned over the toilet where she intended to allow the contents of her stomach to spew, her gagging was suddenly stopped when she noticed that the nighttime scene she saw was exceptionally out of the ordinary. In the water of the toilet bowl was the image of a waterfall splashing into a river below. She realized that the creature who had killed James had left the portal to his world open. The mixture of incurable rage and the lust for violent revenge manifested itself as maniacal laughter. She stood and began to dip her leg into the toilet. Next time. What do you think? Will you let us in?